welcome to episode 17 of The Conscious Cut, where we keep it real about sustainability and life and style, bringing you our point of view as women of color every first Wednesday of the month. We are your hosts, Jalisa and Nee. Thanks for joining us. Ifama Oku is a board-certified nurse practitioner and owner of the Weight Loss and Health Clinic by Embodied Wellness, a holistic-centered root cause-driven approach to medical weight loss and wellness. A natural-born mama figure and older sister to three younger sisters, Ifama has committed her personal and professional life to helping others achieve sustainable health and well-being. She is an advocate for ensuring that all people from all backgrounds can enjoy the benefits of restorative medicine that is one that is rooted in holistic health and wellness. We appreciate your being with us, Ifama. To start off, do you mind sharing how you identify with the Conscious Crew? My pronouns are she and her, and I am African-American. Thank you so much. Again, we are so appreciative of you joining us today and weight management. This is like a big topic and I'm sure everyone of our listeners can relate to it. So let's talk about it. So you provide various programs that encourage healthy and holistic approach to weight management. Can you give us just you know, a quick rundown of what that encompasses just for those that are not connected or reach out to someone like you? Sure, of course. So our approach to weight management, as you mentioned, is one that is driven from like a holistic space. So when we think of obesity, for example, in the clinical sense, we think of a state of inflammation a state of immune dysfunction. Those are underlying factors that affects obesity, again, in a clinical sense. Part of the root cause-driven approach is utilizing anti-inflammatory foods to help reduce inflammation and oxidative stress, all of which can affect people's weight. And we do that through the gut. So we specifically target the gut. So that's what the weight management part of it. And then we'll supplement that with medications and other resources as appropriate. With wellness, our approach specifically is addressing wellness through bioidentical hormone replacement therapy for all genders, as well as treating sexual health. We also treat thyroid and then anti-aging skincare as well. You do it all. (laughs) (laughs) Really, the approach is to be sort of comprehensive. When we talk about wellness and health, a lot of it is interconnected. And so you can't really address one without the other oftentimes. Yeah, for sure. We had um, Dr. Bowen on episode three, where we touched on that, how the mind and the gut connection, definitely they're linked, right? Because you can't have a healthy body without a healthy mind. Yeah, when when you reached out to us, we were excited, like we couldn't wait to talk to you. And one of the things that Jalisa and I had conversation about was specifically like the increase of colon cancer. And we're like thinking about the, not the requirements, but like you have to be a certain age, right, to get screened for that. And we were just having the discussion and over that topic, what's causing this, you know, increase in colon cancer. And I guess a lot of it has to do with the American diet and what we're consuming. And I know from just being on social media, kids these days are really consuming, well, how should not say kids, but the society these days are consuming a lot of processed foods. And I know for sure, because I have a cousin, she has a high schooler, 
and he's consuming talkies and Arizona tea every day, every morning. And, and that can't be good for them. And then considering like we as adults, if we're starting off that young with unhealthy habits, what kind of havoc are we creating in our gut biome? So we wanted to have this discussion with you. So going into my first question, if anybody's, you know, really passionate about this topic, multiple studies, you know, are showing that our diet is a risk factor in the increase of cases of colon cancer. Can you touch on that and how that relates to your practice? Yeah, definitely. So colon cancer is by far one of the most preventative cancers affecting the Western world. And you're right. When we think about the Western diet specifically, it is a diet that is oftentimes very high in processed foods, it's high in trans fats, we consume excessive amounts of animal protein, excessive amounts of sugar, and then low fiber. And all of that is a perfect storm for increasing our colon cancer risk. And so specifically, too, when we think about health and racial disparities, we know that racial and health disparities exacerbate colon cancer risk. African-American men and women were disproportionately affected by late-stage colon cancer, and we die at higher rates than any other racial or ethnic group. And so, you know, when we talk about statistics here, I really like to sort of bring context to the conversation because oftentimes context is lost. And so when we consider factors regarding racial disparities in diet, you know, we have to think about some of the structural racial problems that affect marginalized groups' abilities to maintain a healthy diet. And what I mean by that specifically is issues with access, right? So lack of access to a healthy grocery store. If you live in a food desert where there aren't any grocery stores around you, that is certainly going to affect your risk. Lack of access to reliable public transportation, lack of access to clinics or hospitals, being priced out of foods such as produce where you can't afford it, so you don't consume it, you don't purchase it. All of those factors lead to racial disparities and, and increased risk factors. So yeah, you know, that that's really important. And specifically as it relates to diet, there was a study that was done that I'd like to share with you all that really sort of ties in that point together. There was a study that was conducted by O'Keefe and all in 2015 that studied the diets of 20 African Americans and 20 rural South Africans. And what they did was that they swapped the American diet with the African diet amongst the two groups for two weeks. So that is the African-American group. They were put on a high fiber, low fat diet. And the rural South African group were put on a high fat, low fiber diet. And they collected biomarkers indicating cancer risk and bacteria from the colon. And they were studying cellular changes within that. And what they found was that after two weeks, the African-American group who at the start of the study had polyps in their colon and Polyps, in case people don't know, is a risk for colon cancer, right? And so what they found was that the African-American group showed marked reduction in gut inflammation and polyp growth, which, you know, ultimately means lower colon cancer risk. Conversely, the African group, where at the start of the study, their colon was one of good health, showed marked gut inflammation and ultra gut flora, which indicates increase in colon cancer risk. You know, it, it's a small study, but I really thought that that was pretty remarkable and really ties in the point of diet and specifically fiber. Fiber is really critical in reducing our colon cancer risk because what happens with fiber specifically is that 
fiber is digested by our gut flora and it produces byproducts like butyrate, which is anti-inflammatory in nature. It's anti-neoplastic, meaning that it acts as a protective mechanism against colon cancer. And when we eat foods that are low in fiber, it actually produces cellular changes to our gut microbiome, which can lead to abnormal cell growth and colon cancer risk. And so part of what I do as a provider in working with my patients regarding weight management is that we target the gut with, again, foods that are anti-inflammatory in nature and foods that are naturally high in fiber to help reduce that inflammation, promote good gut flora, and ultimately not only lead to a healthy weight for people, but optimal digestive care, colon care. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is the takeaway, if, if one's concern to their overall wellness, and specifically for weight management, is not necessarily like you know, the number of calories you intake, but more of specific foods that aid in a healthy gut biome, right? Yeah, definitely. It isn't about counting calories or counting carbs or anything like that. It's because foods that are anti-inflammatory in nature are naturally lower in calories. There really is no need to have to do that. I always tell people that weight loss, I mean, weight loss starts in the gut for sure, but the key to weight loss is to get healthy. And so your body will naturally, when, when you're working to get healthy, everything else falls into place. So for example, if you are a person that is overweight or clinically obese, when we work to get healthy, you're going to naturally notice indirect changes in your weight and how you feel, your energy levels, your mood, all of that falls in line. And so that's, that's the conversation that I have with my clients is let's really start with getting healthy first and everything else will fall into place. Could you give us your thoughts on the food pyramid? Because I know there's been some controversy and some changes to it, I think. That's a really good question. We are taught, and I, I'm sure you're uh, of the generation as well, who, you know, who's taught follow the food pyramid, eat a lot of bread, eat a lot of pasta, and you eat just a little bit of fat. And in recent years, people have actually talked about reversing what should be the priority and what is supposed to be a little bit should be more of that. For the most part, I, I sort of agree with that mentality. We live in a day and age where there's a lot, people are really sensitive to foods. There's a lot of allergies and we have to sort of ask ourselves the question, why is that? And part of focusing on an anti-inflammatory diet is focusing on things that don't cause inflammation. An allergy is a type of inflammation. What my thoughts are is that we really should be eating good, healthy fats, and that should be the vast majority of the foods that we eat. Similar to like a ketogenic diet that is done correctly, you want to eat good, healthy fats. You want to eat a lot of fiber. You don't want to eat a lot of foods that may cause inflammation. And for many people, that can be wheat. That's not for everyone. But for many people, it can be wheat products. For many people, it can be a lot of dairy products. And so just really be mindful. What I, what I try to teach people is more than anything, pay attention to how you feel after you eat. That's a really good indication of if you're eating foods that serve you. Do you feel bloated? Do you feel tired? Do you feel like you have low energy? Maybe those are foods that you should not be eating. 
So hopefully I answered your question. That's a hard question to, to answer, but generally speaking with the food pyramid, the way in which we were taught, I do have some issues with it because it certainly doesn't serve everyone to eat that way. And again, thinking more anti-inflammatory in nature, I think some of those priorities should be reversed on the food pyramid. And even like the body mass index, isn't that like taken from how long ago and it hasn't been updated yet? Right. And everyone's body type and body style and body will just structure is, is different. And just to put, I guess the only thing that I could compare it to is when we had a conversation about the body standard in fashion, it's like they've taken these measurements from white bodies from like the 20s and they're still implementing that now and they're and just now we're seeing like a slow shift in what the universal standard is going to be and that's similar to the bmi chart we're not all built the same so i mean that's causing a lot of confusion for those are who are looking to have a more healthier lifestyle i agree is there a place for bmi certainly i do think so but always considering context or including that into the equation, there has to be more context to just BMI because as African-Americans, for example, we naturally have more muscle mass than other ethnic groups. And so that's going to affect the numbers when it comes to BMI and such. So going back to sort of thinking holistically about care, you have to consider other factors, right? Than just a specific number a specific value. If I could insert the mind blown emoji, I would do that right now. I'm sitting here with my eyes wide open. This is enlightening me. So thank you. Yeah. As Ni mentioned, we had quite the discussion between us when you reached out to to chat with us. And another thing that we did was connect with some of our listeners in preparation for the episode because when we had the conversation with Dr. Bowen, it opened up the door to a lot of questions and relatability for the issues that me and I personally have been going through in our journeys. And so a lot of these people have been dealing with gut issues as well, with symptoms that you both mentioned earlier, bloating and irritability, and unfortunately on the more extreme side, cancer. So some of the things that our listeners have been getting inundated with when browsing through social media and watching TV and all all the different things that we sort of look to when we're trying to figure out how to heal ourselves. So they've been considering colon flushes and all the different tummy teas and you name it as preventative measures, but they aren't sure if those things are the right things to kind of turn to. And I know from my own experience in working with a naturopath and researching healing methods that there is a mind-gut connection, as as Nee mentioned earlier. So I've personally been doing things that may seem unrelated or like they have nothing to do with my issues, such as increasing my iron intake, for example. Uh-huh. And targeting just one thing isn't always a solution. Right. So you, you have to focus on whole body health, which Nee mentioned as well. And since that is your jam, I'm really curious if you could help us understand what are some holistic ways to care for the colon? Because it probably is not the tummy, tummy teas, right? right. <laughs> it's really about going back to basics. 
And so, you know, as I mentioned, some of the best ways to sort of care for your colon is, again, choosing foods that are naturally anti-inflammatory in nature, foods that are high in fiber. That's a good start, right? And what that does, what those kind of foods do is that they feed your good gut bacteria. And again, it helps reduce inflammation, oxidative stress, all of those issues that can affect so many other health challenges, but ultimately lower your colon cancer risk. So I'll, I'll sort of just sort of give an example of what I do in my practice. So what I do is, again, I work to sort of repair the gut with introducing anti-inflammatory specialized foods, foods that are low in lectins. In case people don't know, lectins are sugar binding proteins that for people who are really sensitive can produce inflammation and gastrointestinal issues, as well as weight gain and other health problems. And so we, we work to reduce lectins in, in the diet and really introduce anti-inflammatory foods that are naturally high in fiber to help promote holistic healing and, and gut health. And so that's one thing that we do. But also what I would recommend for people in general is you also want to eat foods that also have good pre and probiotics in them. And you can certainly get that in supplement form if you find a really good supplement, but really your best medicine is food. And food is medicine at the end of the day. It's what our ancestors used to heal themselves. Food has healing properties. And when we think of food that way, then we become more intentional in the types of foods that we eat. And so with pre and probiotics, for example, good foods that have that would be sauerkraut or kimchi. That's really, those are some good examples. I also make it an effort when I'm working with people when it comes to weight management, for example. I also make it an effort to really teach people to be very conscientious and very mindful and aware of, again, how they feel when they eat foods and also to pay attention to what our bowel movements, right? Our poop tells us about our gut, <laughs> right? It's super important because our body does a really, really good job at giving us signs of how we're doing health-wise, Right. And so, for example, when it comes to your bowel movement specifically, we can start with the color. What does it look like, right? Is it dark? Is it tar-like? That's an indication that there could be something really serious happening. Maybe there's internal bleeding. And if that's the case, then that would require prompt medical care. Is it bright red after you have a bowel movement? Maybe you have signs of hemorrhoids. Maybe there's constipation. Maybe we need to increase your fiber intake. Maybe we need to ensure you're consuming adequate amounts of water. The consistency, is it pebble-like? Again, maybe a sign of constipation or something else. Is it loose and runny? The opposite end of the spectrum. So those are, those are some examples that I'm talking about in terms of your bowel movements giving you a good sign of your overall colon health status. And then again, like we were saying before, how you feel after you eat. Oftentimes we talk about, oh, I have this food coma and we kind of laugh about it like, oh, that was so good that it put me to sleep. But really, that's not, you don't want food that makes you feel like you don't have any energy, food that makes you feel fatigued, feeling gassy or bloated. Those are signs that what you're consuming is not working for your gut bacteria, right? And we need to find foods that better serve your gut bacteria so it can start working for you and improving your overall digestive health and your overall health in general. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, it's just going to be a whole movement because I'm like, I think everybody, everybody I know it lives for the food coma. They're like, oh yeah, I'm digging into this so I can feel like I need a good nap afterwards. 
Exactly. When you said that, it reminded me of a patient of mine who had mentioned, you know, oh yeah, when I eat, I get bloated, but everyone gets bloated. That's natural. My stomach is usually bigger by the end of the day. And there was some reteaching that had to happen there because when you're really eating foods that serve you, you shouldn't be feeling bloated. That should not be the end result. If you're constantly bloated, then there's an underlying issue there that we need to sort of look at. So yeah, there's a lot of sort of relearning that has to happen when it comes to diet and overall health. Mm-hmm. You, I was going to ask you a question and you kind of answered it, but I'd, I'd love if you could tell us a little bit more about the different types of food that are, that are good for the colon. I know you mentioned sauerkraut and kimchi, but what other things? Yeah, so resistant starches are good. So staying away from refined starches, like the all-American, really. (laughs) (laughs) Just say it, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like the potatoes, the fries, things like that. And really focusing on like resistant starches, yams, for example, like sweet potatoes. Those are really good. Even green bananas, consuming that. Those foods specifically are really good at feeding your good gut bacteria. And just improving motility of your digestion in general. Can we stop there for a second? Because you know what? I've always been a fan of unripe bananas and everyone in my family thought that I was crazy. They're like, you gotta wait till it's got all the brown spots and it looks a little nasty. Wow. So yes, that 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 makes me feel good that my body's in tune with what it needs to be in tune with. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, that's that's all. The, the green bananas have all the good stuff that your good gut bacteria really likes. But yeah, so foods like that, obviously certain vegetables, again, vegetables that are lower in lectins. So your cruciferous vegetables, your leafy grains, obviously those are really powerful foods for your gut. Some good fats like avocado. I mean, avocado is a superfood. It's packed with monounsaturated fats. So it's good for brain health. It's good for gut health. Yeah, those are just some good examples. Certain nuts, of course, in the holistic weight loss program that I manage, we actually work to reduce sugar and that includes fruits, really thinking of as fruit as candy. And so we want to be conservative with that because it does have a lot of sugar. And so that's going to affect our gut microbiome. So again, kind of relearning some of the things that we were taught that's based on the food pyramid and sort of rethinking the way in which we eat foods that better serve us. Mm-hmm. I know if my naturopath is listening to this, she's probably like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, because she recently got me on an anti-inflammatory diet and I was not with it in the beginning. But then as you were mentioning, Fama, like you, you notice your body tends to talk to you a little bit differently you're like okay well I guess it likes the the no sugar and the no this and the no that so right. it's interesting <laughs> to say the least it's very interesting and I'm, I'm curious to know Jalisa from you after doing the anti-inflammatory diet have you tried to go back and has your body had an adverse reaction <laughs> yes it has I started to reintroduce a couple of different things and I've noticed that my body has started to get back in the more like bloated feeling or feeling heavy and a little more sluggish, which, you know, you live like that for so long and you don't realize that it is sluggish until you change, right? So I was like, oh my God, yeah, this was not how I was feeling when I was on the anti-inflammatory. So yeah, yeah, it's worthwhile. Definitely. 
It is. And what I'm about to say is a little controversial too, but part of prioritizing foods that are anti-inflammatory is getting away from the foods that are heavily marketed as healthy, right? So dairy and wheat and grains, grains is huge. And many people have a sensitivity to grains that they're not even aware of. And some of the symptoms, the signs and symptoms that may show up for people are skin rashes, being gassy, feeling constipated after you eat, or having constipation, feeling bloated. Those are signs that you may have a sensitivity to those types of foods. And so eliminating those foods from your diet can really make all the difference in terms of your weight, in terms of just your overall health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. I, when you mentioned avocado, I was going to say, well, what do you think about avocado toast? Because that's a trend. Right. Maybe not the toast, right? <laughs> exactly. That's what I was going to say. Maybe not the toast. <laughs> but yeah, put put that on a bed of lettuce and you're good to go. Yeah. Or just have a guac. <laughs> the other thing that I wanted to throw in as a addition to my question is walking and, or, or not even just walking, but like exercise. Because I know that that's not only good for your colon, but good for your, your whole body. What kind of exercises do you recommend that people do and how often to help care for their colon and body? Yeah, you know, again, going back to basics, keep it simple. If you're new to exercising, 30 minutes of walking, if you could do that five days a week, great. If it's three days, okay. But like exercises that help promote fertility of the gut, so movement. So yeah, you could start with just simple walking. If you're not new to exercise and certainly running, I personally like, and I personally do interval training, the HIIT, H-I-I-T, the high intensity interval training, I think is really great for just boosting metabolism in general. But that's a good example, or just even running for maybe a minute and then walking, running, you just switching it up like that. I wouldn't say there is an ideal exercise for colon care specifically, but anything that involves movement, I think is really good. That could also help you break a sweat. There's actually, and it's something that I have tried that I like, and it's a different kind of exercise, but it's it's good for overall health in general. It's hot yoga. I don't know if you've all tried it or considered it. Oh yeah, I love hot yoga. That's how I started with yoga. It's amazing. There are certain postures too when it comes to yoga in general that helps promote overall health as well. And so Anyways, you could think outside the box like that, or you could just keep it very simple and just do a good brisk walk of 30 minutes five times a week. Sometimes that's all that's really just needed to improve gut health. Okay. Well, that seems doable. Right. (laughs) So on that note, once people look at, like, re-look at their diets improve the foods that they're eating and increase the exercise or maybe not increase, but just kind of like relook at what they're doing to exercise. How else can folks work with you or what else can they do to achieve their health goals and learn more about embodied wellness? Yeah. So you could visit us on our website, which is www.theembodiedwellness, so T-H-E, embodiedwellness.com. You could give us a call. Our number is area code 206-480-0740. You could also find us on Facebook and Instagram. And I'm happy to share that information with the both of you. On Facebook, you'll find us at Embodied Wellness. I believe it's Holistic Weight Loss and, and Wellness. 
yeah, those are some ways to get a hold of us. And then email, of course, as well. And our email is contact at theembodiedwellness.com. Cool. We appreciate you so much. Thank you. This was really great. This was a really good conversation. Yeah, it was. Thank you so much, Ifama, and everyone for taking the time to kick back and be conscious with us. Make sure to follow The Conscious Cut on your favorite social media platform and share one thing you would like to do to become more sustainable. Then stay tuned for the next episode to hear how food can be your medicine. Mark your calendars for June 1st, 2022. Until then, bye, bye world. world.